So is it just me or is life right about now sort of feel a little bit like a Wilson Phillips song? Hold on for one more day. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. And this episode, I'm going to be just kind of tying 2016 up in a knot for a little bit. Um, I think we all, I think we're all pretty much ready for that for a number of reasons, which I'll go into in a minute. And then I will be laying out some of my favorite films of the year, not a top 10, and I'll explain, I'll explain why that is uh, a little bit later in the episode. But first of all, let's talk about 2016, man. This has been a, a, a great year in some ways for me on a personal level, um, the birth of my first child and, um, just, you know, everyone's on my end, everything has been mostly going well in my personal life. I mean, family, my, you know, my work, my writing and that kind of thing. That's all been going really well. Um, but on the grand scale, it's just all these. And of course, this is nothing that hasn't been written a million times by, you know, million times over by smarter, more articulate people than me. But all these talented, like gifted people are leaving us some, a lot of them way too soon. I mean, just in the last few days, we've had, I'm recording this a day or so before the end of the year, and Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher, that double header was really, hit a lot of people really hard, including me. I mean, as you guys know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So to lose Carrie Fisher, who in addition to her work in that franchise, is, you know, was a novelist, a script doctor, a humanitarian, a comedian, and just had, like, had so many talents that the general public, the people that only know her from Star Wars, are, are probably neglecting. Um, and of course, that's, that's the role that she played in pop culture that has made the most impact. But, I mean, she was so much more than that. It just seemed like a really cool, really down-to-earth, um, very thoughtful an intelligent person. So in addition to losing the the big screen icon that you know so many of us grew up with in Star Wars and in other films when Harry met Sally, uh, the Burbs, the Blues Brothers, etc., etc., um, it's just a real shame for this world to lose uh, a person that seemed so genuine and real in a time that seems more and more mired by phoniness and just fame-hungry reality stars. And uh, it's, a, it's a real blow. And then to have the next, I believe the next day, to have her mom clearly die of a broken heart. And I saw something on, I think it was Twitter, or it's hard to separate Twitter and Facebook in my mind sometimes. I saw something on either Twitter or Facebook, someone saying about how Princess Leia's mom, in universe and in real life, both passed away of a broken heart. And that really is a, is a very salient point, I think. Uh, Debbie Reynolds and, and her daughter were clearly super close and, and you know she just couldn't deal with the grief and you hear stories about that sometimes about how, like a married couple that will one will pass away and then the other one will die like three days later um, just because they didn't you know they didn't want to be without that person and and for Debbie Reynolds to essentially you know follow suit and kind of be the latest example of that and being a Hollywood legend in her own right. I mean, going back to, what is it, the 40s, I believe, with Singing in the Rain and some of her other work since then. Um, she's just a real, she was a real icon of the screen. 
and uh, they both were. And it's it's a real shame that on top of a year that we've lost uh, George Michael, also recently Prince, David Bowie, Alan Rickman, Anton Yelchin, Gene Wilder, and and a bunch of other people, uh, too innumerable for me to mention here. It's really sad that we're basically wrapping up this year with uh, another another couple of of losses. Uh, especially a mother-daughter that we're so closely knit as this. It just adds a whole other dimension to uh, to the tragedy of losing both Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. So I wanted to make sure to touch on, as we wrap up 2016, uh, to touch on all the celebrities we've lost. And I haven't really talked about it on the podcast before because I try not to be so downbeat. I try to just focus on, let's talk about the new movie, guys. And, and uh, my, here's my countdown of whatever. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's... it's um, yeah, it's just, it's, I have obviously noticed and it has affected me as a student of pop culture. And I thought it best to, to at least mention that here in the sort of end of year reflection episode. Um, you know, just with all that loss of artistic talent and people that were striving to be different and, uh, and Im- impact so many, so many millions of people and inspire them. That coupled with the, and I'm not going to get too deep into this because I don't want to, I don't want to make waves, uh, at least not here. Coupled with the most divisive political campaign that I've seen in my lifetime by far, and the you know the way that that has turned out has not, still not been very a uh, very positive result for a lot of people, and we're still people are still butting heads and debating things, and it's just yeah it makes me a little worried for the future of our country going forward, regardless of who won because there is such divisiveness right now between you know base base, pretty much have like even if you go by the popular vote you have like 53 percent versus 47 percent that's quite the close divide so clearly half the people on in this country were going to be pissed off regardless so uh, it makes me a little nervous going forward and I I just I'm just going to be happy to put that part of uh, that part of the conversation the election part of it at least to bed and sort of just move forward and uh, figure out what the future of our nation is going to be now. And not to say, you know, that I'm happy with the way things are going right now or that those of you who, you know, who, who are happy, you know, um, that's uh, agree to disagree. But uh, let's at least move forward to the next stage of this um, since, you know, we, we are essentially know what we're dealing with with that and just kind of end 2016 and put all this hate behind us if we have to debate things that's fine but let's all let's keep it civil and there's no need for uh you know demeaning disparaging other people so anyway just on that happy note that's 2016 and for me I, i think of three things i think of all these celebrities that we've lost many of which i personally admire i think of this insane election uh season and i think of the birth of zoe i think of my 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 daughter's birth i think that's pretty much the biggest takeaway of 2016 and other than that a lot of it the world in general has been sort of a sort of a cloud of negativity so let's clear up that cloud and let's move forward with something positive and go into 2017 uh, with renewed hope renewed uh, vigor renewed excitement and enthusiasm for what lies ahead however before we do that I wanted to go through some of my favorite movies of the year now this is usually the place where I would give you a top 10 and last year I did a whole episode on my top 10 movies of 2015 but uh, I at this stage and part of this is having to you know uh, tending to a pregnant wife 
now tending to a newborn. So yes, I have not slept very much lately, as you might assume, those of you who have kids. Um, that I, I, I kind of feel behind on a lot of the movies out right now. I still haven't seen Moonlight. I still haven't seen Manchester by the Sea. I still haven't seen La La Land, for God's sakes. Uh, I haven't really been able to get to the theater very much, aside from uh, Rogue One, which I talked about last week, and Assassin's Creed, which you can read my review of that on WeGotThisCovered.com. Not, not worth your time. Um, just the latest video game movie gone bad. Um, they're, they just can't seem to figure that out. I don't know what's going on with that. So if you want to read my thoughts on that, go to WeGotThisCovered.com. And uh, find my Assassin's Creed review there. So instead of doing a full top 10, because who knows what's going to slip into my top 10, uh, I could maybe mention that um, maybe mention that in a future episode down the line, just kind of outlining number 10 and just a more traditional um, structure. So for now, I just wanted to name a few of my favorite ones, the ones that are pretty much guaranteed to remain on my top 10. Uh, where they would stay on that and how I would rank them is totally, you know, up in the air at this point. Uh, but I did want to uh, outline some of my favorite ones of the past year. There's so many good films that came out, actually. It's funny how I see, keep hearing people say, oh, it was a bad year for movies. I'm like, what movies were you watching? Because clearly you weren't seeing things like Swiss Army Man, like uh, The Witch, like... 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, man, uh, so many, uh, this, uh, Moana, so many great ones that came out. I wonder what these people that are bitching about with these, all these terrible movies, I wonder what they went to see because uh, I, there's a lot of other ones that, there's a lot of great films that outweigh the terrible films, in my opinion, in 2016. So, without further ado, let's get into some of my favorite films of 2016. Again, like I said, there are so many, but you know... Um, Let's uh, let's talk about six. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about flicks and me. Let's talk about what the good films and the bad films are to me. Let's talk about six. Let's talk about six. All right, before we get started, I should probably clarify that this is not 100% my final ranking of these films. Uh, so the order might be a little murky when I eventually do my top 10 list. Uh, but just in general, just keep that in mind that, um, you know, the ranking might, might change a little bit when I do my top 10, so don't hold me to that. But these are, for the most part, the six films that I'm almost 100% positive will remain within my top 10. So coming in at number six, I want to talk about Don't Breathe. This is the, new, uh, the newest film from director Fetty Alvarez. He's the guy that did The Evil Dead remake a couple years ago. And this movie really surprised me. It has a very uh, original twist on the home invasion setup. Uh, it also stars Jane Levy from that Evil Dead film, as well as Stephen Lang from, uh, best known for Avatar, I guess, as the villain in that movie. Um, and, and it brought such striking visuals, like I said, a really creative twist on home invasions. And uh, in a year that was really populated by a lot of strong horror films overall, I feel like Don't Breathe probably stood out to me personally as, as the best one that I've seen. And I have seen just about all the major releases, Your Conjurings, Your Lights Out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did a whole review on this, a whole extensive review on this a few episodes back on the episode entitled Don't Breathe, You Yoga Hosers, where I talked about 
uh, this film as well as Kevin Smith's Yoga Hosers, which is not anywhere near my my best of the year. Even though it you know it has its own fun charms, I guess, in its in its own way. Um, but yeah, I can't recommend Don't Breathe uh, highly enough. It really confirms to me that Fede Alvarez is one of the strongest up-and-coming voices in horror films today. And if you haven't seen it, it actually did do pretty well in theaters, but if you haven't seen it yet, this would be the perfect movie to go grab in Redbox or even blind buy on Blu-ray and, uh, you know, make a, make some popcorn at home and fire it up and, uh, you know, prepare to be... Prepare not to get any sleep that night, basically. Uh, it's one of those films, so highly recommended by me. Number five, we have... Pop star, never stop, never stopping. This is my favorite comedy of the year. Uh, even though basically nobody saw it in theaters, I think it made less than ten million. I think I think it's something like eight, eight point, I don't know, five, six, something like that. Uh, so it did not do very well at all. This is the film uh, from the Lonely Island, and it's directed by Akiva Schaefer and Sharma Tikoni, and it stars Andy Samberg as Connor for real who's basically uh, basically the movie's proxy for the Justin Bieber type. Um, the film's really modeled after the whole concert documentary of things like Justin Bieber's Never Say Never and uh, that recent trend. And it really takes a very incisive look at celebrity and fame and all the pop music stars that are currently in the spotlight. And does so in that faux documentary fashion that has worked so well for people like uh, Christopher Guest and the movies like This is Spinal Tap. And, and in a lot of ways sort of modernizes that style and the, the points of that that, the, that film and specifically This is Spinal Tap was trying to make to, uh, to the modern age. And highly underrated, really funny, some of the best music I've seen in a movie this year. Um, in addition to, of course, it's, it's hilarious. If you're a fan of The Lonely Island, I feel like some of the songs in here uh, are among their finest work, uh, not no pun intended with their song "Finest Girl," that's actually featured very heavily in the film, as well as uh, was the basis for a digital short on SNL. But uh, if you have not seen "Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping," and it sounds like most people haven't, I would highly recommend checking it out. Eminently rewatchable, and to me, is probably the comedy this year that is most destined to become a cult classic, um, as far as you know, films that didn't really perform at the box office. Number four, we're looking at Arrival. This is the new film from Denis Villeneuve. Any of you who are unfamiliar with his work, he did uh, Sicario, which was on my top ten of last year, as well as films like Prisoners and Enemy. And this guy is, is fast becoming the next Christopher Nolan type uh, in that he has, a really, he has a real sense of atmosphere and gravitas and... Uh, groundedness that he brings to uh, to genre films as we're learning now with Arrival being such a thoughtful and uh, and stirring sci-fi film. I mean, and we're, and we're getting a lot of those in the last few years with, between The Martian and Interstellar, which is, which is Nolan, incidentally enough, uh, and Gravity, things like that. We're getting a lot of really visually, visually pioneering, thought-provoking sci-fi films. Um, which, which we've sort of had a dearth of until recently. So Arrival is the best, is, is, is prob- probably one of the best of the, the recent bunch. And it stars Amy Adams as a linguist who is brought on board by the government to help communicate with a race of aliens that lands on our planet. And you go through the typical, you go through the typical, you know, trying to find out what they're, why they're here, 
Uh, do they come in peace? Are they trying to declare war on us? And that whole thing. So similar to how Don't Breathe does a different spin on the home invasion premise, Arrival does a uh, a lot with the alien invasion premise. And it's not, if any of you expecting Independence Day style explosions and, and uh, you know, a lot of, of uh, kinetic action, this is not the movie for you. This has a much deeper point to make about communication, about um, coming together for a common goal, as well as, as well as just uh, life in general. I'm trying to remain spoiler-free for those of you that haven't seen it. It did, it did pretty well at the box office, so there's a chances are the chances are strong that a lot of you have probably seen it. Um, but if you haven't, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's uh, you know for me especially, and this is going to stay as vague as possible for me especially, having just had a child for the first time. The the big twist and such at the end and the ultimate point that the film has to make and the dilemma and the question that it leaves you with really resonated with me and really hit me hard uh, in, an, in an emotional way. So Arrival uh, is highly recommended. Denis Villeneuve is really going places. Um, and I think this really cements him as like on the brink of becoming a top tier Hollywood filmmaker. He has Black, uh, he has Black, he has Blade Runner 2049 coming out in uh, 2017 um so that might be the one if that's a huge hit he might be he might land a um he might land a spot alongside people like nolan so i'm really pulling for him because i've been a fan of his for the last couple years and i think if you haven't seen arrival and you appreciate serious thought-provoking sci-fi uh definitely check it out coming in at number three we have captain america civil war and i know people are going to give me shit for putting a Marvel movie above Arrival, because yes, um, you know Captain America has much more populist goals in mind, just trying to tell an entertaining story, and it has 13 films to, of groundwork before it. Whereas Arrival's coming in totally different with the totally different tone, with a similar, similarly fantastical backdrop. Um, but this movie was so much fun, and um, still ranks with me as probably one of the top tier Marvel films uh, right alongside Captain America the Winter Soldier which is also from directors Joe and Anthony Russo as well as the original The Avengers and the the film really just twists the character dynamics and and takes into account the history that these characters have and what we've seen them been what we've seen them go through together the obstacles we've seen them overcome and uses that to fuel its own story and take the franchise which at this point is i mean it's kind of a foregone conclusion that every marvel movie is going to be at least solid because most of them have the formula that they use and let's be honest they do have for the most part a pretty standard formula that most of the films adhere to the formula that they use is has still continues to be reliable um, look at Doctor Strange, which is another great movie that didn't quite hit the top of my list for this year. But uh, use that as an example. They they have found a way to deliver consistent quality. But within that, Captain America's Civil War does deliver some surprises, does have some twists that that audiences will not see coming, and features the best balance of uh, supporting cast probably since the Avengers. Um, you know, you could say that you could all make the argument that Captain America the Winter Soldier is a quasi-Avengers movie since it does have Black Widow and Falcon in it, but uh, I wouldn't really necessarily count that because this one has literally everybody in it minus 
uh, Thor, the Hulk, and Nick Fury, pretty much all the other mainstays of that team are, are accounted for here, and they all have their moments to shine, and the story that they're telling is never really underserved. Everything that, all the subplots for the individual characters, the Quicksilver, uh, not Quicksilver, but the Scarlet Witch stuff, the, um, the Black Panther introduction, most of that really does serve into the greater story that this film is trying to tell, rather than detract from it in the way that Age of Ultron, uh, some of those subplots really did. Yeah, you could say that Ant-Man and Spider-Man are sort of shoehorned in here, but they're also, they've been established, well, at least Ant-Man has, in previous films. And so you don't really need a lot of, uh, a lot of backstory on them. They're, they're injected in here to be the comic relief, and they get a lot of the best lines because they have the least... And, I, and, and the filmmakers admitted this on the film's commentary track. They had the least skin in the game. They're, they're not emotionally invested in this conflict between Iron Man and Captain America the way the other characters are. They're able to just come in, do their thing, pick a side, fight on it, throw out some quips, and then he'd be ejected more or less from the movie. And, uh, and that approach really works. And I could not be more excited for Avengers Infinity War, for Black Panther, for Spider-Man Homecoming. And this film really came in and reinvigorated the franchise in a time where it could have easily sort of dipped in quality or rested on its laurels, so to speak. I feel like Captain America Civil War really did everything it could with that premise and pushed this, the uh, MCU into a very interesting place going forward, delivering some of the best action and moments we've seen in a superhero movie with that airport fight in particular, some of the most interesting characters, and weaving them all together into... Uh, complex but not overly convoluted plot that pretty much that does hang together on repeat viewings and uh, I mean it, it's this thing is infinitely rewatchable I've already revisited it a couple of times since I saw it in theaters uh, which I did see a couple of times in theaters uh, and I would definitely recommend uh, you know checking it out if you haven't seen it which I can't imagine you haven't seen it but um, but yeah Captain America Civil War great film probably the best of the huge 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 blockbusters uh, to come out this year, so I had to put it on my list. Number two, we have Zootopia. Yes, it's another Disney-owned title. I know that, you know, this makes make me look like a, uh, a Disney sycophant, but, you know, what can I say? There's a reason that they're having such a groundbreaking year as far as box office grosses um, between Captain America, between Zootopia, both of which I obviously loved, then you have Moana, Pete's Dragon, Finding Dory, all of which are also really strong. Doctor Strange, as I mentioned. And uh, for me, though, Zootopia still hangs a cut above the rest of those. Um, having just had a little girl, the character of Judy Hopps really stands out to me as a great role model for, for young girls watching this film. And the film is uh, funny when it needs to be. It's dramatic when it needs to be. It has some very, uh, very biting social commentary and makes an excellent point on prejudice, discrimination, and it's a message that a lot of kids need to hear, and apparently, according to you know, this divided political climate we're in, it might actually be more relevant than ever before. And, you know, but it does so without sacrificing any of the humor, without sacrificing the cute and cuddly animals that we expect from a Disney film, without pandering to kids, and without uh, you know, alienating, uh, alienating either, either parents or, or younger viewers. It, it rides that line perfectly where it would work as an allegory 
for adults, but for kids it just works as a fun like adventure story uh, and a mystery. It has a lot of noir elements thrown in there with some great voice work by Jennifer Goodwin, by Jason Bateman, by Idris Elba and Jenny Slate. Just, just an outstanding film from top to bottom and one that I can't wait to introduce to my own daughter uh, as the years progress. So my number one, the funny thing about this one here is that this film has pretty much, I think, sort of been my favorite film of the year since I've seen it. And it's been the film that I've basically measured everything else up against since I, uh, since I walked out of that theater. And for my money, it still stays as my f- favorite film of the year. It might not be the best, the technically best film of the year, but like I said, you know, this is, these are my personal favorites and film is a subjective medium. So, you know, this is, this is my number one of the year so far. And again, that might change if I happen to be blown away by Moonlight or Manchester by the Sea or La La Land or one of the other couple dozen films I really, really want to check up on and, uh, and, and catch up with. Um, but for me, Stink Street is still, still stands as the best film of 2016. This is John Carney's latest film about uh, a scrappy underdog who who finds uh, emotional connection and finds a path through through music through the creation of music and through the power that it has to connect you with other people uh, he's previously done begin again which was on my top 10 of 2014 as well as once which was an oscar winner for best original song and this film just has such heart to it it has some of the best music of the year. Yes, even better than Popstar. I know I, I sung the praises of that a few minutes ago. And uh, its story of ambition and positivity and optimism, again, really resonates with this year as a whole and, and serves as sort of a... Uh, sort of serves to counteract all the negativity in the world right now and really inspires you to want to fulfill your dreams, to want to pursue what you want to in this life because ultimately you do have limited time on this planet so it's like why are you waiting why are you wasting time not going after your dreams when you know you have all this opportunity all this promise out there and it really explores the potential that especially you have in your youth to to make your impossible seemingly impossible dreams come to life there's such a sweet uh, love story at the center of this with with the two leads, uh, Lucy Boynton as Rafina and Ferdia Walsh Pilo as Connor. Just two immensely charming lead performances from those two relative newcomers. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't seen either one of them before this film, and they both blew me away in here. And I, I can't wait to see what they do next. Um, and, and uh, Jack Rayner specifically as Connor's older brother that whole brother relationship I mean granted I'm a little biased as an, an older of two brothers myself that dynamic really really resonated with me and hit home especially Jack Rayner's big scene with his brother where he has this long monologue those of you who've seen the film um, should know exactly what I'm talking about that one really hit me this, this, as well as the whole drive it like you stole it Sequence, just one of the best soundtracks of the year. Um, some of the best performances. A universally relatable story that fits with a lot of archetypes, but also still seems original somehow. It's just surprising to me that of all these big budget movies and all these other you know great films out there this year, that a film about a 
scrappy little uh, scrappy rock band in uh, you know in Dublin is the one that that hit me the most. Um, but uh, you know that's the magic of cinema. You never know what's going to what's going to work for you. What's going to connect with you on an emotional level. What's you know what stories are going to stick with you and that you're going to want to revisit. And um, this was definitely the one that hit me the hardest. And if you haven't seen Sing Street, and unfortunately it did not make that much at the box office. I think a little over three million. Uh, it is streaming now on Netflix, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, obviously, it's my favorite movie of the year. So, uh, pretty much, it's just pure joy. You just put it on, and and it's you just it just makes you feel good, and um, all the elements come together in such a satisfying way. And that's honestly something that is all too rare these days in film. So, that's my top six of 2016 thus far as I said there's still other films I need to see and uh, a few honorable mentions that I wanted to throw out for this one I would have if I was extending this out a little bit further and like I said I'm not 100% confident doing so because some of these might get pushed up but right now uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was a standout for me Pete's Dragon The Nice Guys I said Moana and The Witch those were some of the uh, of the better films out there as well that were like right on the outskirts of this top six so as I see some of the more um, heavy awards contenders, I will probably mention on this podcast or po- throw a post up on CrookedTable.com with my top 10 of the year. In the meantime, for more podcasts, videos, reviews, and other movie-related goodies, I swear to God I'm going to get back to the video part of that soon, uh, visit CrookedTable.com. You can also find me on Twitter, at CrookedTable, Facebook. We have a, a Facebook page that you can like us on there. And uh, just connect with us on social media. Let me know what your favorite movie of 2016 was. And which one for 2017 are you most looking forward to? Uh, There's so many great ones coming out that, uh, yeah, maybe I'll do that. Maybe that'll be a future episode. I'll go into the ones I'm most looking forward to for 2017. So um, as for now, this is is Rob from CrookedTable.com and the Crooked Table Podcast wishing you a happy new year. And uh, hopefully we'll have some great days and great films ahead. And I can't wait to talk about them with you all. And I'll see you next year. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.